about Obadiah, but I believe your the some of the gold on your pages had probably rubbed off between last week and this week. So uh, tonight we're going to look at the book of Habakkuk, and first of all, I want to extend my appreciation to the Fairview Memorial and also the Winter Bible Committee for allowing me to be here to, to share for a little while. Secondly, I believe this is one of the hardest questions ever asked by man. Um, with the Holy Spirit's help, though, we'll examine these 56 verses in the book of Habakkuk and answer this question with the Word of God. People struggle with this question and are looking for help, hope, and comfort. This world is filled with sin, evil, and death, and all problems in life are due to the presence of sin in this world, as we've already heard tonight. Prior to the fall, the world was filled with love, life, and peace. Everything was in harmony, as the old Jewish folks would say, it was shalom, well-being, righteousness, because righteousness and peace kiss one another, but... As we think about the impacts of the fall of man, we've got to remember a few things as we begin this lesson because we have to have a framework of sin to be able to discern what is going on in the book of Habakkuk. First of all, we all sin. You and I sin, and our sin has consequences at varying levels. Every sin will have a consequence. Secondly, other people sin, and their sin has an impact on our lives. Uh, which can lead to broken or relationally distant relationships, unpleasant circumstances, and suffering in our lives. Third, we live in a broken world that is filled with disease, natural disasters, and other tragedies. And so, the thing is, I believe this question of why, it's not hard for us to understand the question why when we know that we have sinned and there's a natural consequence for our sin. We understand the why. We struggle, though, when someone else sins against us or something happens in our life that uh, negatively impacts us. For example, a young child who grows up without a father in the home may question, why does my dad not love me? He may struggle with living alone or with grandparents because his his or her mom uh, is working one or two jobs to meet financial obligations. And due to a father's absence, then the mother is absent because she's trying to work a job. He's being raised by grandparents. And he's wondering, why did I get brought into this type of parental situation? You see, for that child, he was not, it wasn't his personal sin, although he's born in a fallen world and although he has a sinful nature himself, but there is, there is suffering that is brought into his life because of the sin of others. We begin to have struggles when... It's the sin of others bringing struggle into our own lives. And especially as a child, you don't really understand what is going on. This child wouldn't understand what it was like to live in a home with a mother and father that loved one another. And this big question of why? Why? And when that happens, often there are trust issues. Trust issues. Who do I trust? Who can I trust? If I can't trust my father, if I can't trust my mother, if I can't trust people around me. Who can I trust? I hope that we find someone that we can trust in the book of Habakkuk, even when we may not be able to trust anybody else. And I believe I'm going to be able to recommend somebody to you tonight. So I'm grateful for the Scriptures on that behalf. But often we don't understand. We don't understand these situations that are difficult. 
Tonight we're going to find answers to help people who may be walking through some of the darkest times of their lives. And so the topic that's been assigned to me is why does God not intervene? Why does God not intervene? This question can be composed in another form as why does God allow certain events to happen in our lives? Or why does God not work on my timetable? Or God, where are you when my life seems like a maze? Like I mentioned earlier, we're discussing one of the hardest questions ever posed. We're discussing this doctrinally or philosophically tonight, but if you live long enough, you'll be given the opportunity to apply these good and hard truths in your life as you seek to please God when life does not make sense. You see, I'm presenting truth to you tonight. You may say, well, I really haven't gone through a really dark, deep, valley in my life, and so I haven't asked a lot of those big questions of why did this happen? I will tell you this, that if you live long enough, you are going to be brought into times in your life where this doctrinal will have to become practical. You're going to have to apply these hard truths. And so really, I believe undergirding this question is, one of the ultimate questions is this, why does God, why does the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? And will injustices in the world ever be made right? That's really why we're here at Habakkuk. He is in a crisis moment, as we'll, just, we'll look in just a minute. So tonight we'll break this up into four sections. The context of the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk's human experience, Habakkuk's holy God, and Habakkuk's faith helps us today. So let's begin reading in verse 1 through 4 because I believe this is where the question arises that is our subject for tonight. He says, The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and... There are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slack, and judgment does never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. This is the question that Habakkuk is raising, and I must say that he's raising it in reverence before the Lord. He enters into a conversation with God. He has a complaint or he has a lament, the things that are around him does not seem right, and he is beginning to ask this question, God, why are you not intervening? How long am I going to have to deal with, this, with these things? And so in the first verse we find that it says, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. The burden as we consider it tonight, this was a heavy load, that Habakkuk had seen God was going to bring judgment on the people of Judah. As Brother Jonathan shared very well last week about the history of Israel and Judah during this time, Habakkuk is writing somewhere in the early 600s. It is written, Habakkuk is a prophet. We know very little about his past. But he is a prophet of God, one who speaks on behalf of and interprets the will of God often rebuking or predicting events. He's the eighth of the minor prophets, and his name means to embrace. 
And so he's a contemporary of Jeremiah, Nahum, and Zephaniah, as you heard the lesson last week. And he begins this difficult conversation with God. He knows God because several times in the book he says, my God or my deliverer. Uh, And so what a beautiful thing it is that he has a personal relationship with God. And this is the beauty of if you find yourself in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of a difficulty, in the midst of a maze of life where it just seems dark and you can't see your way through it, I want you to know there is a friend that sticks closer than any brother and you can talk to him about anything that is going on in your life, even the deep issues that you don't even feel comfortable talking with anybody else about because you don't trust other people with the real hard things of your life. God is one you can talk to. Habakkuk does that for us and reminds us of this beautiful conversation. And so as we see the structure of the book, Habakkuk's introduction, verse 1 and 1, his first complaint is in verse, chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, as I read before you. And then God responds. You know, we, we serve a God who communicates. He responds to our questions. He is concerned with the infirmities and weaknesses of our lives. We can talk to Him and He will respond. Now, I've got to remind you that sometimes He does not come back with the answer that you want to hear. Habakkuk learned that. We see Habakkuk's second complaint in verse 12, uh, chapter 1, verse 12 through chapter 2, verse 1, and then God's second response in chapter 2, verse 2 through 20. And then we see the concluding chapter is actually a prayer that Habakkuk wrote down that not only was a prayer to be recited in the temple worship, it was also a psalm to be sung in worship in remembrance of the Deliverer that had been, uh, been there for them in the past, who was going to be there with them in the present, and who will always be with God's people to deliver us once and for all. And so, what a beautiful song, and hopefully we'll see a few things in it in just a little while. It says, Habakkuk saw this prophecy in verse 1. He did see it at the end. He said he did see it. He saw this vision that gives unknown information or revelation. This is the beauty of God's Word. We have general revelation. We see out in creation all around us. It's general revelation. Everyone can see and testify to the glory of God as the Creator. But in the Word of God, we have special revelation. God has disclosed Himself and made Himself known and and revealed some things to us. But there's some things that He has not revealed to us. It says in Deuteronomy 29 and 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So everything that God wants us to know is in this Word. There are some things that are going to happen in your life and questions that you're going to have that are going to be left unanswered, And we'll have to leave that to the mystery of the providence of God in our lives. There there are going to be some things that maybe God uh, gives us an answer later on in life when we can handle it. But uh, the things that God wants us to know is right here. But we are not made to know everything. You may struggle with that. You may struggle. I really want to know everything and why everything happened in my life. I'll tell you, if you, if you knew why everything happened in your life, you probably couldn't handle it. 
There's things that we're not meant to handle. God carries those things, and we can trust Him for those things. And so we've seen the context of the book of Habakkuk. Now, let's look at Habakkuk's human experience. Because I believe this question arises based on what Habakkuk sees. And so we want to enter in. We've seen the context of the book. Now we want to enter into the context of Habakkuk's life. Uh, Dr. Jeremy Pierre is a man that uh, teaches about counseling, and he talks about when you begin to enter into a person's world, you've got to begin to see how are they responding to God, how are they responding to themselves, How are they responding to the circumstances? And how are they responding to other people? That's really going to help you get a full or view of what is going on in their worlds. And so we see here Habakkuk begins to ask these questions because as he looks at the circumstances in his life, they don't seem to make sense. And so he asks a question that many saints throughout the Scriptures have asked. O Lord, how long shall I cry unto you, and you will not hear? You see, Habakkuk feels as if his prayers are being unanswered. And notice that I say the word feels, because in this moment, uh, sometimes we allow our feelings to dictate how we really see things, rather than allowing faith to dictate how we really see things. And so here we find that Habakkuk says, how long, basically saying, Lord, where are you? Can you hear me? Are you out there? He says, why are you not delivering me? I'm crying out for violence. There's violence everywhere. And it doesn't seem that you're delivering. Why am I having to live through this season of suffering? And why are you causing me to see iniquity every day? And he's really asking, God, why are you not intervening in the way that I think you need to be intervening right now? We sometimes find ourselves in that situation. Lord, it doesn't seem like you're answering my prayers and you're not intervening in the way that I want you to intervene right now. And as he looks out in verse 3, it tells us, because this really is a setup and it's really relevant for our culture today. Habakkuk experiences the downfall of Judah's society. He says there in verse 3 that he sees the spoiling. Or he basically says Judah's society is eroding. It's it's spoiling, as Brother Jeremy mentioned a minute ago about the breakdown of the home. As we see the breakdown of the home, breakdown of marriage, breakdown of the family, we begin to see the breakdown of society. We see the spoiling of society, the eroding of the very foundation on which God would desire us to build things upon. We see the godliness in our society today. The consequence of that, notice this, when you don't have authority in the home, notice the second thing. He said, Judah's streets are filled with violence. When you don't have people brought under home and brought under authority in the home in a loving atmosphere and discipline in the right way, a corrective, loving way, you're going to see uh, children go up without any authority, filled with anger, and they're going to create violence in the streets. He says, Judah is striving against one another. There's an increase in lawsuits and bitter conflict, and strife is arising, which also leads to contentious speech. There's strong disagreements on every hand. The battle lines are drawn. Instead of attacking problems with biblical solutions, people are attacking people. They forget to how, how to talk to one another. Does that sound familiar? 
Sin degrades everything. Listen to this. Sin degrades everything from society, the streets, and even the speech of mankind. And so Habakkuk sees all around him. He says here that he's experiencing lawlessness due to idolatry and a lack of godliness. Lawlessness. He says the law is paralyzed. It's it's become ineffective. It's weak. It's grown cold. And because of that, because the law is not being upheld by leaders, do we not not see that? Because the law is not being upheld by leaders, Habakkuk sees disorder, chaos, and oppression all around. The more we live in a relativistic society where your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and What you say is wrong is wrong, and what's wrong is right, and what's right is wrong. The more we see that, and more the the world promotes freedom, the more we're going to see people go into bondage, and oppression, and abuse, and all of these other things, because the highest law of the land is God's law, and God's law will lead us to love. But people do not want to hear God's law because God's law also convicts us on our lack of love and the love of many grows cold. Habakkuk is struggling. He's struggling with what he sees. That is his experience. He says he and and the other righteous folks are surrounded by the wicked around him, all around him, and justice is... Perverted. Justice is perverted. We see this creeping up and increasing in intensity in our land today. That justice is being perverted. That even district attorneys are not holding people accountable for very clear and blatant sin and unrighteousness. That even those that don't even know God will rise up in moral judgment to say, that is wrong. Judah, I mean here, Habakkuk, is struggling with what he sees in Judah. It says, this is not right. He's living in a time of crisis. And from his perspective, I want you to see as as we see his heart for a little bit, as you consider your own heart, your heart is the dynamic center of your life. And Proverbs tells us to guard your heart above all else, for from it flows the issues of life. And so we see here that Habakkuk believes that God can act because his very lament, his very conversation with God is an act of faith. He desires to see revival, a spiritual awakening in the land. He wants to see justice. He thinks God is not intervening and the law has become ineffective. He feels the coldness of humanity, a lack of love and commitment to God. He chooses to lament toward God. He's crying out with intensity, Lord, what are you going to do about this? He acts by waiting for God's reply. And he speaks about this real struggle. Lord, how long am I going to go through this? How long am I going to have to bear with this? How long is it going to seem like I have unanswered prayers and a lack of deliverance and a concern about safety and violence? And it seems like you are inactive. Lord, what are you doing? We've got other folks in the Bible that we can look to. And see their whole story of life. We have, the, we have the beauty of the panorama of their stories, like Joseph. Now imagine he is in the, uh, there after he had interpreted the dreams of the cup baker, or the, the cup bearer and the baker. And they, it says in the scripture he's got left two more years 
Two more years. Lord, how long am I going to be in this situation? I don't understand what you're doing. God, are you inactive? Oh, we can look and see the panorama of a story that God certainly was not inactive. God was intervening. I believe we're going to find the same truth to answer this question in just a little while. Why does God not intervene? I believe we're going to have a solid answer by the time we get to this. I could also mention a man by the name of Job. Job, when he his, sales, his life fell apart, everything went dark. He lost all of his financial resources. He lost ten children in one day. His wife, in some ways, lost her mind. Just curse God and die. That wasn't very good advice. But in all this, Job did not charge God with evil. We see the panorama of his life, and we see here that did God intervene in Job's life? I'm going to let you be the, the one that decides that answer. But if you want another one that you begin to see the human experience of injustice and, and, and struggling with justice and things being made right. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 23 it says, and this is where we have to see this fine line between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. It says that by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, that, that means that God ordained the cross, but then on the flip side of that it says wicked men uh, took Him and slew Him. We see God is not responsible for the sinful activity of man, but yet God is responsible in His sovereignty and His power and His wisdom for orchestrating events in His own power and His own wisdom in His own way to bring about His purposes for the glory of His name and for the good of humanity. But Jesus, from human perspective, cried out this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus demonstrates that there's times that, Lord, what are you doing? Where are you? What are you going to do about this injustice? I'll tell you, the Father was close to Jesus in the midst of that dark hour, even though He may not have felt Him very close because He was taking on, His soul was made an offering for sin. But I tell you, when He said His first prayer at the cross, He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I don't think Jesus had to yell that up. I believe the Father was right there. And I believe there when He gave that last cry, Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit. I believe he was right there, don't you? I don't believe he had, he said he yelled with a loud voice, but I believe that was for the people that were around him because his father, his ear was delighted to hear the voice of his son and the obedient son who walked through all of that pain, all of that darkness. And he's wondering, God, uh, are, are you going to intervene? I'll tell you, he intervened right on time and in his own wisdom. And on that third day, he vindicated justice once and for all, which is a reminder to us that sometimes we don't understand what we're going through and why we're going through what we're going through. But when you can't understand God's hand, you can always trust God's heart. God is good and always will be, and God is always going to overcome evil. He always is going to do it. So, as we see here, this is Habakkuk's this is human experience. Do you feel what he's feeling? Do you feel the weight of this moment, this crisis moment? God, I'm crying out to you, but it doesn't seem like you're working. But we see here God's holy, God, God, God is a holy God, Habakkuk's holy God. 
He mentions in verse 12, mine Holy One. He's got a personal relationship with a holy God of heaven. It's a beautiful relationship. As you think about holiness, it says to worship God in the beauty of holiness, God's purity and God's holiness. He is, I can't imagine what He's going to look, be looking like to see Him face to face. He is going to be the most beautiful one that you've ever seen in your life. But yet Habakkuk is in the middle, middle of a moment that is ugly and dark. And he's asked the Lord, what are you going to do? Verse 5, it says, Behold, you among the heathen regard and wonder marvelously, for I'll work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. God basically tells Habakkuk, Hey, I'm already working. I'm already working. You're praying, you're crying out, and you're, 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 you're throwing these prayers up, and I hear you. I hear you, but I'm not answering them the way you want me to answer them, because here's what the dilemma was, because this led to a second complaint of Habakkuk. God says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, a bitter and hasty nation who is going to march through the land, swallowing up people. They're swift as leopards. They're ravenous like evening wolves. They sweep down like eagles, and they are, they are absorbing nation after nation after nation. They are plundering nations. They are destroying the, the land. God calls them out about how they treated the land. I'll tell you, uh, Habakkuk's wondering, God, do you see what's going on? I'll tell you, God saw them tear down the fig trees and the vines. He he saw them take their sheep and their cattle and all of these other things. God was watching out for what was going on. He was not far away. He's not far from any one of us today. But we see here that God, God is writing an unbelievable story. He said, I'm working a work in your day that Habakkuk, if I told you what I was doing, you would not believe me. It's unbelievable. Now, in some regards, I want you to think about that just for a moment. I've been considering that. It's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. God, how can you take a wicked nation in your sovereignty, in your power, in your wisdom, and use that wicked nation to bring judgment on Judah for their sin? And I tell you, God brought some swift judgment, some powerful judgment, and His wrath was poured out as they destroyed the temple, as they knocked down the walls, and you've got Jeremiah on the other side of that, walking among the ruin and seeing the devastation. It was a serious thing to fall into the hands of a living God and to, to treat the fountain of living waters, to turn to broken cisterns and just to turn to idolatry. God said, I'll tear it down because uh, you, you are not seeing me clearly. And so He tore all those things down and but yet God was writing an unbelievable story. You see, they wouldn't have understood if God said, let me tell you how I'm going to bring all this about. I'm going to bring Judah to their knees. But, but, and and I'm going to, I mean, it's, going to be, it's going to be severe chastisement, but, but even the severe chastisement, and, and God's going to rebuild, and He's going to not only rebuild, but He's going to rebuild the temple, He's going to rebuild the walls in the days of Nehemiah. And not only this, that even as they rebuilt the temple, they began to mourn and say, this, this is not as glorious as Solomon's temple, but I tell you, greater glory was going to walk into, the, into Jerusalem one day in the person and the intervention of God Himself in the flesh. I'll tell you, if, uh, if God had told Habakkuk all that He was doing in His story, He said, I, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I tell you, 
I'm glad I'm part of an unbelievable story. I can't even hardly wrap my head around it tonight that God in His grace, in His mercy, in His justice, in His purity, and His holiness was willing to save a sinner like me. And not only do that, but He is fitting me for heaven. And one of these days, I am going to be like those in this congregation, the saints of God. We are going to be on the highest mountaintop and we are going to be overcomers by the blood of the Lamb. And we're going to say, God, what a conqueror you are. Oh, how powerful you are. How great you are. I can't even believe I'm part of this story. And it's so big and it's so great that I can't, I'm just a little bitty part in it. And God, I'm just going to give you the glory for it all because there's no way I could have wrote a story like this. That's how great you are. But Habakkuk struggles. God says, I'm bringing the Chaldeans and I'm going to bring destruction upon the land. And when Habakkuk doesn't understand, his, his faith is rooted in the character of God. Verse 12. He says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, God, mine Holy One, we shall not die? O Lord, Thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O mighty God, Thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of pure eyes and to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest Thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest Thy tongue when the wicked devours the man that is more righteous than he. You see, he goes back to the character of God. He said, God, you've been with us a long time from everlasting. You're a covenant-keeping God. You're my God because He says, my God. He uses personal pronouns there. (laughs) Lord, I don't understand what you're doing, but you're my God. You're the mighty God. You're my rock. That's what He's saying. You're my rock. Oh, mighty God. You're the permanent one. You're the one that gives me security, stability, strength, and permanence. But Lord, I just don't understand what you're doing. For sake of time, we get down to verse 17. He says, Lord, this, this nation, these Babylonians are just absorbing people left and right. They're overtaken. Is anybody ever going to stop them? Are they going to be unstoppable? Do you know there are people in this world today that think they cannot be stopped? They're power-hungry, selfish, self-centered self-congratulating. This, this is the way the Chaldeans were. They looked in the mirror and they reflected and they looked, how bad are we? You get a, get a glimpse of that of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. He's walking on the palace rooftop and he's saying, look at this kingdom that I have built. I am one bad dude. I am the strongest man in the world and I will do everything I want to do by my own power and for my own glory and for the establishment of my own kingdom. But he should have read chapter 2 verse 44 that tells us that all these kingdoms are going to break up but there's only one kingdom that is an unshakable kingdom. But I'll tell you, there's people that are, that are blinded by their sin and blinded by their pride. But God said, I see into their hearts. They're puffed up. But He says in chapter 2, the just shall live by faith. This is the heartbeat of the whole Bible, I believe. It's, it's quoted in Romans 1.17. It's quoted in, in Galatians 3.11. It's quoted in Hebrews chapter 10. At the end of it, it says, the just shall live by faith. How do we endure Moments in history where society is eroding, violence is in the street, and there's strong dissension on every hand. How do we handle it? Will it ever stop? Will selfish people ever stop being selfish? How do we handle it? The just shall live by faith. 
And faith will produce love. And, and, and love will produce joy. And joy will produce peace. And people in the world will see the difference. In chapter 2, verse 14, an interesting verse here. Here's what he says, because God, he gives five woes toward the Chaldeans, if you read later on. It's in the notes, but he gives five woes against the thief and the, or the plunder and those that are building cities on bloodshed and those that are coveting and those that are drunkard. They were so defiled that they were, and we see it in our culture today, they were so defiled that they would get others drunk so that they could uncover their nakedness. They're trying to get them naked and going back to that sexual sin that Brother Jeremy was mentioning earlier. This is, this is the type of lifestyle that they were living. And they were idolaters. They were worshiping something that they had created. And although we're not bowing down to metal images and wooden images, mankind today is bowing down to images in their own mind that they have made God out to be. And they are creating a God that is okay with lifestyles that are contrary to His ways. And Habakkuk sees here that God is going to do something. And the beautiful thing it says in verse 14, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In this prophecy, God says that there is coming a day just like water. If you know how water travels, it travels the path of least resistance and it gets down into every crack and crevice that it possibly can. What Habakkuk is seeing is there's coming a day when God is going to intervene and make Himself known that His glory is going to be in such a way that just as the waters covers the sea, His glory is going to permeate every square inch of His dominion. And what is His dominion? His dominion is heaven and earth. It is all His. The Chaldeans were saying, mine, mine, mine. We've gathered all these nations, but I tell you, we better be quick to say, thine, thine, thine is the kingdom. Thine is the glory. Thine is the power forever and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so this is what is transpiring. Verse 20 says, but the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent. Before Him. He's got it all under control, brothers and sisters. He had it under control in Habakkuk's day. He's got it under control today. And what He wants you to do is to walk by faith and not by sight because we're getting caught up with sight these days. We're getting caught up with sight. And the problem is, we're, we're losing our sight of God Almighty and we're putting our sight on all the things around us rather than getting back to the Word and back to uh, our knees in prayer, saying, Lord, revive Your work in the midst of years. That's what he says in chapter 3, verse 2, as he lays out this prayer. He said, Lord, revive Your work. Revive me that I might see You, that I might be able to handle this day of trouble that we're living in. That I might be one that leans upon a rock, the rock, because I want to be a rock to the world around me, that our homes might have solid foundation as we walk by faith and not by sight. And so Habakkuk closes this, this third chapter. I, I listed, I'm going to see how much time I got here, but I listed several points of application. He closes this last chapter with this prayer. He's praying, Lord, revive your work in the midst of years. In the midst of years, make known. He's talking about this. He said, Lord, I want to know you the word make known is the Hebrew yada, which means to have experimental knowledge. He's saying, Lord, I want to know You in fresh ways, even in a difficult season in my life. 
And I'll tell you, this, this verse 3 through 15, if you ever get a chance to study it in depth, it's, it is a picture of God coming on chariots of salvation. He is marching through, and this is a picture of a God delivering the people uh, through out of Egypt, through the oppression of the Egyptians, and God there went to Mount Sinai and revealed His glory there, and then He began to march through. He, he marched through that land, he, and it says as He began to get to that, they'd already marched through the Red Sea. As they began to get to the Jordan, they, they not only went across the, through the Red Sea on dry ground, but the Jordan split, and it said fear of God began to spread among the nations and God spread uh, those nations and God conquered them. His truth was marching on. His power was marching on. The divine warrior was there to fight for His people. He said He stood up and He measured the earth. He measured it. He, He had the power. And He said the mountains, the everlasting mountains, they began to burst apart. The things that people see as so permanent in this world, things that people hide by, God is going to upheave all of those things. And I tell you, everybody's going to behold God. Everybody's going to behold God. And they're going to either behold Him as judge, or they're going to behold Him as Savior. His glory is going to be made known in judgment or salvation. And I'm so grateful tonight that He has already intervened. Why does God not intervene? I'll tell you, He does intervene. He does intervene. But I believe that the question was spoken because we sometimes look at things from our human experience and we say, Lord, I don't see You working. I've had people that I've talked to in ministry that say, God has never shown any kind of love toward me. And as I look at and hear the story of their family life and the pain of their family life, I have to remind them that God already did something for you and intervened for you before you were even born, before you even brought into that family. He did something for you before the suffering, the very ounce of suffering that you suffered had taken place in your life. He sent His Son to die on the cross. And it tells us in the Scripture that God committed His love toward us in this while we were yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. So what does Habakkuk do? In verse 16, he says, when I, heard, when I heard this message, God told him, write it down. I wish I had another two hours, but I know you're already up past your bedtime anyway, right? Uh, it's past my bedtime almost. It feels like it. But he says, when I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered. His heart began to pound, his lips quivered. His body became limp, his knees began to knock. He says that I might rest in the day of trouble. When He comes up unto the people, He will invade them with His troops. You see, Habakkuk had not yet experienced what was coming, the judgment that was coming. But he said knowing God would provide him rest in the day of trouble. I don't know what's coming in our lives. I don't know what's on the horizon of our lives. But I tell you, knowing God will provide rest in a troublesome time. That's why Paul said there's a peace that passes all understanding. This is why Jesus told His people, He said, My peace I give unto you. It's a peace that's not of this world. It's a love that is not of this world. And that love that is not of this world, that peace that is not of this world, that joy that is not of this world will sustain us in days of trouble because faith will drive your life. The just shall live by faith. 
And he concludes here. Now, you'll have to read. I put several points of application on the last few pages of the lesson. But here's, I'm going to read these last two verse, three verses and I'll close. He says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, they depended on their figs to eat. Neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail. The fields shall yield no meat, the flocks shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. What are you going to do when you don't have any food? You don't know where your next meal is going to come from. What are you going to do? That's a good question. When the stock market is upheaved and the housing market does whatever it's going to do. The banking systems do what they're going to do. What are we going to do? I hope we get back to what the Lord's Prayer said. Give us this day our daily bread. I hope we get back to, I have never seen the righteous forsaking, nor his seed begging bread. I hope we get back to, man shall live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I want to tell you what Habakkuk was going to do, because he tells us. He says, even though the things that I trust in, I, if they're all gone away, I've been trusting those things too much, these physical things too much, he said, yet, shall, yet will I rejoice in the Lord and I will joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk believed in a personal deliverer. Do you have a personal deliverer? <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. And look at this last verse. Who in here needs strength for this journey? I tell you, when we go through trials, it's hard. Sometimes we want to doubt God's love and we wonder, God, where are you? What are you doing? I tell you, God intervenes. God's going to intervene. God has intervened. God will intervene. He's really going to intervene in the future. If you read the book of Revelation, this Babylonians, they became the symbolic of all the wickedness that ever has transpired on the face of the earth. And you read over in Revelation, it said, Babylon is the greatest fallen. Babylon, the greatest fallen. I'll tell you, when this world has fallen apart, I'm glad i got a rock to stand on. It says, The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet. He will make me to walk upon my high places to the chief singer of my stringed instruments. You see, God's people will always be overcomers. Through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, we'll always be overcomers because we know the one who has crushed the head of the serpent He's done it in the past. He did it at the cross. And He's going to shortly, as Paul told the Romans, He's going to shortly be crushed under your feet. We can walk on high places. Even when we're down in the valley. We can sing songs of victory. Not just individually. He wrote this to the congregation. Because you and I need a church to sing these songs of victory in. To rejoice in the Lord. Because sometimes we get in the valley... And we get just like Habakkuk and he's looking out on human experience and saying, Lord, I don't see you. And you got a brother or sister that comes by and says, let me pray for you. I tell you, when you got a brother or sister that comes by, you're beginning to see God. He's, he's intervening. He's working. Because He's always working. And so, why does God not intervene? He does intervene. And the good thing is, He's always on time. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the truth of this Word tonight, and I pray that it might minister to the hearers. Thank You for allowing me to be ministered to uh, by Your Spirit, Lord, as I've studied this. And 
meditated on it. And Lord, I just pray that you'll help somebody with this and give them hope in a very dark time in their life. And for those that uh, are not in a valley right now, but are on the mountaintop and rejoicing, Lord, I pray that they'll be willing to see a brother or sister in need and be willing to get down in that valley with them, to cry with them, lament with them, to weep with them, but also to pray and to sing because we have a Redeemer and He's coming. He's going to show up right on time every time. Thank you for being our deliverer, Lord Jesus, we pray. It's in your name. Amen.